Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. Today I'm with Michelle Tregoning, our leader of mathematical professional learning K through 12 for the New South Wales Mathematics Strategy. Michelle is an experienced primary school teacher and has led numerous high impact professional learning opportunities across New South Wales, including building numeracy leadership. And before she started working with the New South Wales Mathematics Strategy, she led numeracy for our Early Action for Success program, working directly with 570 schools across New South Wales. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Mark. How are you? Thanks for having yeah. me today. No, good, to, um, good to have you on board to talk about mathematics. There's a big new math strategy um, launched here in New South Wales, and there's a real sense that we want to increase student engagement and participation in maths and uh, rates of students doing maths for the HSC, and it seems to be um, very much a focus of everyone at the moment. And I'm interested that you're leading the strategy for us, but, but as a student, um, you really didn't see yourself much of a maths person, didn't really have a positive um, experience with maths. You know, how have you got to be leading this strategy for us? Oh, I think um, in some ways, I think it's good luck um, and a little bit of mismanagement perhaps on, on, on my behalf, but in, in a really fortunate way. Um, you're right, I was actually a really, um, when I look back, a disaffected young person at school. I, I felt um, that school really wasn't a place for me. I, mathematics in particular was something I was really nervous about. Um, I found it incredibly hard to remember which, which formula you were meant to apply on which occasion. Um, I really wanted to know why and how things worked. And at the time, you know, the best, best practice wasn't necessarily built around these ideas of supporting conceptual understanding um, for students. And so I'd had a, a few different um, opportunities in life before I came into education. And so when I, when, I, when I came to start teaching, the thing I was most nervous about was the teaching of mathematics. Um, I was incredibly concerned that my students would leave the classroom feeling like I did about mathematics, that it wasn't a place for them. There was nothing inside of that for them. Um, and so because I have just always really enjoyed research, my, my background um, originally was in psychology and history, I just went to the research to find what it is that I could do better for my students. Uh, and so in my first year of teaching, I'd, uh, within about three or four weeks, I'd, I'd gone to the students, Mark, with a great confession, and I said to them, look, I don't really know what I'm doing. And the kids were very kind to me, and they said, that's okay, you know, we like you, and you're doing a really good job, keep going. I said, yeah, but what I'm seeing is that, you know, when we come in and we're learning about things, the same kids that sort of understood it at the beginning, understand it at the end. And the students that are still finding it tricky at the beginning are still finding it tricky now. So for me, that's indicative that something's not quite working. So I went and I read this research and this guy says, maybe we should try this. So how about we become research partners and we look at what the research says and we test this out in our classrooms and you and I, you're my research assistants and we're going to see what works. And one of my students said to me, do we get to wear lab coats? And I said, of course we do. So I went down to Big W in the afternoon and bought lab coats. And this is how, how we worked together, where we would look to the research, I would talk to the kids about it, and then we would um, work with them on getting really effective feedback from them about what was working and what wasn't working uh, and what worked for who, I guess. And my, my principal came into my classroom in my first year of teaching 
just happened to come in to, to um, be bringing a message and she was watching what I was doing and she then asked me to share this um, with the staff that I was working with. Um, so I did and then the next year we had a consultant come in to work at the school and a, a friend of mine um, and a colleague, Amy McGuinness, said to me, you, you really need to show Brian Tickle, who's a maths consultant, what you've been doing in your classroom. Uh, and I'd said to Amy, I, don't, I can't do that. Like, I'm too nervous. You know, he's Brian Tickle. And she said, well, either you tell him or I do, which is less embarrassing. So, so I shared with him the work that we'd been doing with the students in the classroom, and that created the snowball. He then um, invited me to start working with folk. I was then presenting at conferences around um, Australia, uh, and, it, and it just... Um, kept getting bigger, I suppose, until Peter Gould, who was the leader of mathematics for New South Wales, we used to refer to Peter as Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's like our um, really incredible leader of mathematics. And he retired and he, um, I was asked to his office or his pod and he, he said to me that he was retiring and he would like me to consider um, filling in for him in his retirement in election for success and and I said to him, oh, gosh, Peter, you know, I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't be you. And he said, that's okay, Michelle. No one can be me. Just do what you would do given this opportunity and these challenges. And so that's, that's how it happened. So that, that's a big Star Wars moment. I, I like the other um, Star Wars line, that, the line of Yoda, do or do not, there is no try, right? So you kind of dived in and you've made this your own. Um, why... Why is this such a challenge for us? We spend more time thinking about maths students, engagement with maths students, um, understanding of maths than we do of almost every other subject combined. Why does maths um, have such a bad rap or why, why have we been so challenged to engage students in maths, do you think? I think part of the challenge is that there's an identity crisis for mathematics. Do you know, it, um, it's typically perceived as um, you're, you're good at mathematics because you're the first person to the right answer. Um, and whilst being able to recall and use um, number facts and, and um, formula is a, is a critical component to mathematics, it's, it's sort of like if you tried to look at the world through the lens of a microscope. You know, you would miss seeing mountains, you would miss seeing the ocean, you, you miss the broad picture. And, and it relates back to this sort of historical narrative around, around mathematics in particular, that when I went to school, you know, it was all about computation or following computation. And so this is what I'm expecting to see. We know an awful lot more now about research and it's about getting those messages out to our schools and our teachers. And then because there's such an a tricky emotional space around mathematics because you're either good at mathematics because you're the first person to the right answer or you're bad at mathematics because you're not the first person to the right answer. So it means that inside of a room of 30 kids, there's two students potentially that are, that are positioned to feel successful. And when we start to broaden our perspective of mathematics, when we see it as it's defined as the science of thinking and reasoning, when we acknowledge that being able to recall and use number facts is equally as meritorious as having the tenacity to sit inside problems and to embrace cognitive dissonance and sweaty brains that are really critical for learning, we can start to create different opportunities for everybody to feel successful in classrooms, which allows for engagement to happen. 
but it means for our, our teachers and our parents that we're really disrupting this historical narrative that we've told around mathematics. And we need to really carefully nurture and support our teachers into seeing that mathematics is a place for them so that they can help afford that to their students. Um, there's so much in that. Um, you know, previously on the podcast, I spoke with Eddie Wu, and Eddie, of course, means that you're only the second most famous maths teacher in New South Wales education, but I know you work close with Eddie. Yes, but, um, you know, Eddie, Eddie is very dismissive of that concept of maths people and non-maths people. Yeah. But that's still, you know, you'll hear that language in, you know, almost every classroom around the state at different times, won't you, with 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 kids and then also their parents and possibly even their teachers putting that tag on themselves that they're not a maths person. What are, you, what are our strategies? Talk a little bit more about the strategies you've developed to change that mindset in classrooms. Mm. So, well, from a, from a maths strategy perspective, one of the things that, that we're doing is as much as possible. Um, so we have our, our big pieces of work in the design of some sustained ongoing professional learning um, projects that we'll be um, working with teachers as of next year and, and moving forward that comes with um, coaching support. Uh, and we're really borrowing from the work of uh, Paul Cobb and his colleagues that led large-scale reform of system-wide growth in mathematics in the US. And he talks about really solid professional learning has to, has to be connected to this cycle of, in, of um, cycles of inquiry and cycles of enactment. You know, so it's not just knowing about the research and seeing how that plays out in our context, but being supported and nurtured into enacting that in your classroom practice to then come back and reflect again and move forward. To, to borrow from Dylan William, he talks about that we're in the habit, we're in the business of trying to form and change people's habits. And that's really hard to do without someone being with you at the moment that you're sometimes speaking about mathematics in a way we want to shift or bringing a task into kids in a classroom that will perpetuate mismessaging about mathematics. So part of it is these, these big initiatives. But for us as well, we're looking for all the microscopic moments, the fissures and the cracks that we can get ourselves into. Um, so we've reached out to folk like the sport unit in thinking while moving so that we can refine just some of those really small semantic shifts that have insignificant impact on the way we talk about mathematics. It's um, really carefully interrogating the way we talk about mathematics in things like the Everyday Maths Hub. Um, we're ruthless with the red pen when things come through to us for feedback about making sure that the messaging is not, is, is neutral and positive and welcoming so that everybody sees this opportunity for mathematics for them. I mean, part of the critique, I think, has been that maths in school is very skills-based and that students lack that conceptual knowledge to be able to deal with that. So just talk a little bit more about your strategies at play around that. Yeah. So, so the National Council for the Teaching of Mathematics published some work recently about eight effective practices for the teaching of mathematics. And one of the eight that they talk about is using conceptual understanding for the basis of procedural understanding. And this is um, a real flip, actually, for a lot of our teachers who, who typically there's this view of if you just teach the kids this first, then you give them the problem that they can solve it in. And what all of the research evidence is showing us now is that the, the, the problem solving, the reasoning, the, the challenging task becomes the space for our explicit teaching to take place. 
and that what we what we need to be doing is building kids' capacity for conceptual thinking and understanding. The, the reasons for that is because then when I have conceptual understanding, my, my, my knowledge and my awareness is much more robust. So when we rely on things like um, memorization of procedures or number facts, when I'm, my brain perceives that I'm in a, a, a high pressure situation, I, I, it's corrosive. My memory starts to, to not work as well. But when we can build concepts, what we're actually doing for kids is changing their brains. We're supporting the development of schema theory um, and, and the connection of ideas. And it means that if I'm under this pressure situation, I'm suddenly asked in front of people to solve seven nines and I now can't remember that number fact. Because I know seven tens, I can now use that as the basis to work out seven nines really effectively. But to build conceptual understanding, we use a framework from um, Tom Lauer and his colleagues at Canberra University around creating really powerful experiences for students to see the mathematics at play, that that then becomes the anchor for the language, that, that then we start to play around with different ways of representing and exploring these ideas by mathematical modelling, you know, and um, various representational competencies. And that then from there, we link into the symbolic. And typically what happens with mathematics is we move straight to the symbolic and we miss these early phases that are really critical in the development of conceptual understanding. One of the interesting things, I mean, one of the challenges in education, of course, is that everyone's an expert because everybody went to school. And just think through what you're saying there, um, there there'd be some who said, look, you know, Seven nines, well, we all had to learn seven nines. It wasn't fun back then. It shouldn't be fun back now. Just, you know, sit and do it. And I remember sitting at school and you'd hear the chanting of the times table uh, from classrooms up and down the corridor. I mean, I mean, what you're saying, though, as I hear it, is that students will still know what seven nines is. They still kind of get there, but they get there in a way that is more engaging and is more likely to make the learning embedded and sustainable over time. You're making sustainable mathematicians. Part of part of what you you talk about though is you need to encourage students to wrestle with this, because in order to do it the way you're doing it, um, you know something might be hard, and you know we're almost trained if something is hard or difficult to avoid it rather than dive into it. How do you work on the psychology of engagement around dealing with complexity and, and times when the answer doesn't come quickly? Yeah. So, so one of the things that we do talk with students about a lot is this idea of having a sweaty brain. Um, so I was fortunate enough a number of years ago, Mark, to be part of a research project with the team at Western Sydney University around student engagement. And, and we tussled with this problem of we know things like student engagement is defined as thinking hard, feeling good and seeing relevancy in your learning. And when all of those three things are happening simultaneously for a child, that's when we can say they're engaged. But the only way to know that actually is to ask them. And I was working at Fairfield Public School at the time, it was 96% of students came from an EALD background. And we really tussled with this idea of how do we talk to kids about high cognitive challenge, um, feeling good about their learning and relevancy and how do we specifically do it through this potential language barrier as well. Anyway, one day, as happens, we had this great aha moment and we started to talk to students about cognitive challenge is a bit like, you know, when your brain is out for a run. You know, when you're out for a run, you start sweating, you know, and, and that what we want our brains to feel like today is that they're out for a run. 
Or we would say things like, you know, today what we're doing is really practicing the cementing of these skills and understanding. So we want you to feel like you're out for a walk, but not sprinting uphill. So let me know if we've missed, mismanaged the sort of chat, the right level of challenge inside this task. Anyway, this started to work really well. And in the end, with the students, we designed this thing called the sweaty brain climb, where uh, it's an image, you know, like a vocabulary climb that we use to develop um, knowledge of language with students that moves from my brain look, feels like it's sitting down watching TV, fully chilling out, to it's now sprinting uphill. And in fact, the opposite is I feel like I've fallen off the cliff and I'm sweating because I've gone too far down the other side. Um, and we use this with our students. We use it with kids across K to six. We're now using it with students in secondary. And we found that was really powerful in talking to the students about getting them a, a common language to be able to talk about how challenging they were finding something and where we had wanted or intended them to see it. But alongside of that, we've also explored with students, you know, what does it mean to learn? Um, and what does learning feel like? And so there's that critical importance of building growth mindset and, and a knowledge around when you're learning, you should feel a degree of discomfort. This is a good thing. Um, and if it's too uncomfortable and you've fallen off the edge of the sweaty brain climb, then we will help you manage, you know, that, that location. But if all you ever feel is that your brain is sitting down pretty much watching television at school, that's not what we're here for. Uh, and so we really work with our teachers and our students around how important it is to embrace the sweaty brain because that means that we're learning today and that is what we're here for. We are in the business of learning. You know, the brain, it's said, is the most complex object yet discovered in the universe. And if you're a primary school teacher, you may have 25, you may have 30 of those growing brains in your class and each of them are on a separate learning journey. I've often wondered if part of the challenge in mathematics is it does quite often rely on sequential learning. You're building on a foundation that's been previously built to, to move to higher levels of insight and understanding. And if there are gaps in knowledge, um, if students were away, if they didn't really get it, then, then that, that hampers their ability to continue to, to build upwards, but it also erodes their confidence. What, how should teachers think and what role do you think assessment plays in giving us genuine insight in, in identifying where those gaps are and retrospectively kind of building that foundation so that students can then move on with confidence? I think assessment plays a critical role. In fact, you can't um, separate quality teaching and skillful equitable teaching and mathematics from assessment. But it's about asking the right questions. So we, um, last year with Early Action for Success Schools um, and a couple of years before that, spent a lot of time working in partnership with Professor Diane Seaman out of RMIT. Di and her team led um, a, a really large scale project where they looked at what, what fundamentally are the things that are critical for kids to have. She says, what are the lines in the sand? Now, what are these big ideas that are so foundational to student understanding that we, if students don't have these, that we should be moving all of our resources to support students in the development of those skills and understandings? And because this is foundational. And it started because they were looking at what is happening in Year 9 mathematics where we start to see this drop of student achievement. And what they found was that the critical blocker was students' capacity to move into multiplicative thinking. 
And so then they mapped back and they said, well, what, like, what, what is the foundation for mathematics, for multiplicative thinking? And they found that place value knowledge um, and not, not um, a superficial knowledge of place value where you can say there's a two in the tens place in 526, but where you can really think flexibly about numbers and you can do something really nerdy um, in the research where they talk about renaming with confidence. So it means I can look at 32 and know that there's three tens and two ones, but I can also say that there's two tens and 12 ones or one 10 and 22 ones. I have this real flexibility um, of number and that as the mathematician, I know that I'm in charge of them too. Um, and that when kids don't have this robust place value knowledge, what comes before that is this idea of trust and account or number sense. And so what we do with our teachers is we use assessment tools that dig into what, does, what do the students have in terms of their number and operational sense? What do we know about their place value knowledge? What can we see in their multiplicative thinking? And then use that to target teaching. Um, there's been a lot written about uh, girls' participation rate in STEM and, and it's still very interesting to look at the analysis of HSC results and the um, extension mass um, classes. Uh, again, you know, what is the participation rate of girls doing maths in years 11 and 12 and, and extension maths and the like? Just as, as you look at it as part of the maths strategy, uh, are there any special things we need to be thinking about as far as the engagement of girls and maths is concerned? Yeah, I think, I think one thing is seeing, being able to see yourself um, in, in the field. I was out working out in Wilcannia last year and one of the SLSOs told this beautiful story of she was a, a student growing up in Wilcannia and was at school and you know, we were comparing stories of how disaffected we were uh, in, our own, in our own high school year. Um, and she, she was saying that she just didn't think school was for her. There was no place for her in it. And it wasn't until um, an Indigenous woman came in who was a scientist that came to visit the school where, where she realised that actually someone like her from her background and her culture could be a scientist. Uh, and it always has stuck with me of how, like you sort of theoretically know how important it is to see yourself mirrored or reflected in spaces but that story really, really like sat in my belly, I think. And I think that's part of the, the solution is, is being able to show our students and our parents and our broader community that, that we're genuinely serious, that, that every aspect of learning in New South Wales, there is a place for you in it. And to do that, we need to be representing those, those, those groups, be they women, be they young students from refugee backgrounds, be they... Um, students from Aboriginal backgrounds. Um, so I think that's part, part of the solution. And I think the department is, is doing a really good, has a good focus on, on trying to achieve that goal. Another part of it, I think, goes back to earlier parts of our conversation, Mark, around how critical language and semantics is. So um, Anne Prescott and her team at UTS did some really interesting research work around particularly the, way, the ways that women talk to girls about mathematics. And that they found that one of the most detrimental yet entirely intended to be helpful things that a female can say, a female role model can say to a young student, a young female student is, it's okay, darling, I was bad at that too. Mm -hmm. you know? Because it allows permission for us to go, that isn't a place for me. Um, and it's delivered in such a nurturing way that it's like we're both now comforted by yeah, it. 
Yeah, and, uh, and, and frankly, I'm sure for some of our teachers, they need to deal with that too, that it's a real challenge being a primary school teacher. If you're a, you're a high school teacher, you teach in the subject areas of your passion. You can walk away from areas that weren't of great interest to you or you didn't feel as successful. And if you're a primary school teacher, you need to teach it all. And that means that even if you never saw yourself as a mathematics person, you need to become one and you need to be able to model that to students. And that, I think, is just a continuing an important part of the professional development work that, that you're spearheading for us in all of this. Just finally, for the parents who are listening into this podcast, how do they send those right messages? And, and what's the thinking behind this everyday maths hub that you've been associated with developing? Mm. I think the, the, it's in the title that mathematics is every day and it's everywhere. Um, one, of the, one of the most beautiful things we, we, I was working at a school and we led some parent art carer sessions. The students actually helped us um, lead them. But one of the first things we asked our parents to do and carers to do was write down all the things you've done today. Like what are all the jobs that you've done? And then we collected them up on the whiteboard and then we went through and showed them all the mathematics in each of those tasks. So things like getting the kids ready for school in the morning and we showed them where the mathematics was. When they paid the bills, we showed them where the mathematics was. And that's part of the goal of the hub is to be able to show our parents that there's, that not only is there a space for you in mathematics, that in fact without mathematics we can't function, that mathematics empowers and underpins us no matter what we want to do or where we want to be, that when we're um, heading out somewhere with our family, we're using mathematics to get us there on time, that when we're you know, creating, when doing art or we're building something at home or um, we're using mathematics to empower us into that. that, that we can talk about mathematics when we're hanging the clothes out on the line or when we're preparing lunches in the morning, that, that it is everywhere and, it, and it's incredibly beautiful and creative. And you can do really simple things like going along for a walk and collecting sticks and coming home and ordering them and having really rich, beautiful mathematical discussions with your child um, because it is everywhere for you. And you can find more about that on the department's uh, Everyday Mass Hub. And Michelle, I want to thank you for your time today. It's just been struck listening to you at how many researchers uh, you've invoked. I know as you lead this mass work for the New South Wales Department of Education, you are tapping into the, the, the leading global thinkers uh, in this work as we try and create an environment where every student is flourishing, where every student is improving, where every student is confident about maths and able to apply um, this mathematical insight across all their learning in a way that really sets them up for a vibrant future. So um, thanks for your leadership and thanks for your commitment and thanks for your passion for mathematics. And thanks for joining us today on the Every Student Podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.